0: This podcast is brought to you by drunkmummysobermummy.com and made in association with hellosundaymorning.org, changing the world's relationship with alcohol, one Sunday at a time. Well, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good, and this is Sober Awkward.
1: right, Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon?
0: Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be Sober.
1: Yes, we're here like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet to take the edge off sobriety. And together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. Oh well we're really really excited. I mean we're always excited with this podcast but we're particularly excited because somehow we've managed to set up our technology. Yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> in such a way to have our first guest on the Sober Awkward podcast and that is somebody that I think a lot of you will have heard of before and that's Mr. William Porter, the author of Alcohol Explained. Welcome William. Hello. We are we you sound all calm. There's no I, no sign at all of the, the, the drama we've had actually getting all three of us yeah. talking to each other on this podcast. I mean William
0: is in England and we are in Australia, so it's a pretty much a miracle that we're all here together in us in the in the troll booth. Yes, how we've
1: done it I don't really know, but somehow we're only running about two hours late. Yeah. Oh cool. We'll we'll go shaking people here. Yeah. <laughs> My legs are shaking. I've got a bit red, haven't I, Lucy? Because I was Yeah, so, you did. Slightest. You went a little bit red though I knew we were yeah. in trouble when Vic's neck started going red like, oh, <laughs> oh, she's getting stressed I'm like a toad <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can tell when I'm about to go because my I start to swell up
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the benefit you of being do. in London I've got the whole day panning out in front of me so that's absolutely oh, I know yeah. and, and
1: you're and it's a Sunday in London and that's what I was just worried because I said oh my god what if he needs to be at work because you work don't you as well as yeah, doing yeah, all your stuff. yeah so you yeah. must be a busy man
2: um, well, funny enough, it's probably, it's easier. It's easier when I'm at work. Cause I've got two young kids as well. So we've got the usual round of oh, yeah. parties and dragging them here, there and everywhere. Whereas when I'm at work, I can just sort of sit back and pretend to be working, and no one really pays yeah. much attention. So yes,
0: yeah. I've 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 just snuck away from a Father's Day dinner actually. Yes, it's Father's Day. I was like, Day see you guys. I've Australia. got three young
1: kids as well, William. So yeah, I know mm. I know how that feels to want to run away occasionally and hide. And so yeah, same with Alan, our Sandman, who does all our, all this work for us to make these podcasts happen. And we say, are you sure you don't mind? And he, he's got four kids. He says, oh, I love just getting out of the house for the
2: evening. <laughs> oh, in fact, yeah. between us. We've got nine
1: children between us, and including
0: (laughs) William, that's say eleven. All of us together, and these four people. So yeah, two of
2: them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: full on, aren't they? Full on. We love them sometimes. (laughs) Do You, that's nice. Occasionally, (laughs) occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, as we said, William is joining us all the way from our motherland, England, Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. William is a lawyer living in London. He's 45 years old. Married and a father of two boys, as we just said. He quit drinking in February 2014. Previously, William was a British Army paratrooper and served in Iraq in 2005 and 2006. He wrote Alcohol Explained back in 2015. And since then, it's become one of the go-to reads for the newly sober and the sober curious community. Um, Lucy introduced me to your book, actually, William. She read it <clears> and would not
1: stop banging on about it. Yeah. So yeah,
0: I <laughs> had to tell did. her to yeah. shut up about you at one yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. She was getting a bit <laughs>
1: obsessive, like an obsessed fan. <laughs> yeah, you're quite you're quite safe over there. At least you're in another country. Yeah. She like might be stalking you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you notice someone stalking you on Instagram with yeah. like a fake account, yeah, it's Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. I'm being more serious. If you listen to the, some of our, certainly our first few podcasts, I think I mentioned the book in every single one several times. And I think for me, the reason this is, I mean, I've read lots of sober literature, um, as we do when we're on this sober journey, but I'm quite analytical and um, I, I get overloaded with information and I don't like grey areas. For me, I like to know facts yeah, And I think yours was mm-hmm. the first book that was really giving us like this is what alcohol does to you. There's no grey area. This is what it does. So it took away a lot of that. Oh, maybe it'd be all right to have a couple of drinks. Maybe it'd be all right to. No, it's not all right. You're actually laying it all down. And I I found the book uh, had to read several pages a few times because it was so packed full of information. Mm. Um, and also having two teenage daughters, William, I actually find myself quoting sections <laughs> from the book to them <laughs> if they go out. And like my 18 year old might say, oh, you know, we, we don't remember what happened between this part and this part of the night. So I explained to them what happens <laughs> in their brain yeah. when, they, yeah. when they black out. Yeah. So it's been hugely helpful for my own personal journey. Um, but also just so bloody interesting to know what alcohol is doing to us so thank you for putting it out there it's like no other book around on um have, on you, the sober have you got a
0: special room lucy where you've got cutouts of william's face like <laughs> all over the all over the walls and with and scrawlings Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Scrawlings
1: of a maniac on the wall. It's in the basement.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Um, We did put a shout out, William, on our group. I have a a community group, the Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy group, and – that I put it out there for our group to ask you some questions. But actually, they didn't right. ask hardly any questions at all. All they wanted to say was how much they loved your book. Um, one woman said it should have been on the high school reading list. Agree. It changed my life. Thank you. And another lady said, in a very Aussie way, I love his bloody guts. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, I think probably Australian. Lucy would as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah very <laughs> Australian. Um, this is the book that got me sober. It was like words literally flipped a switch. Yes. Thank you, William. So there was a lot of those that we, we could shower you with glorification for hours on end, but that would be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah. Thanks. Do you hear a lot of that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's all positive I mean, I, I kind of originally because it, it on Amazon there's now loads and loads of reviews for it and they're all like fairly positive. But I was for ages thinking to myself, yeah, but when something's good, people tend to shout about it. But when it's rubbish, you just tend to not say anything about it. But yeah, I, I think there's been enough enough positive feedback now that I can relax. The knowledge that does seem to be helping people. Yeah, Yeah, that's
1: good. You're the modern day Alan Carr, really, aren't you? Yes, you you are a bit.
2: Well, Alan, yeah, to be honest, Alan Carr paved the way for me completely. well When I kind of tell my story, I always start at, you know, I was like, I think I started drinking and smoking at sort of 14, um, and I came across Alan Carr's quit smoking book when I was 16 or 17. And it really struck a chord with me. And I ended up reading virtually everything he's ever written. Mm. Um, And it it very much set the scene for me. So yeah, absolutely. Alan Carr was, as I say, certainly paved the way for me.
0: Yeah, I, I remember reading that when I was about eighteen, and the monkey feeding the monkey the banana. I remember that, yeah, like, so always feeding that. the addiction. Yeah, it's resonated mm. with me at a young age. Didn't stop me smoking, of course, because <laughs>
1: nothing, nothing was going to stop me stop doing anything because <laughs> I was
0: a mental, <laughs> mental case. Um, so I'm just going to go over quickly, William. What we're what we're going to do today. So today we want to delve into the life, a day in the life of a drinker. Um, we want okay. to understand the science behind each step in our decision. Making and learn how sometimes our actions are not always actually our fault. It's just what us humans are kind of programmed to do.
1: Um, and we always like our listeners to know what they're going to get get from listening to this podcast. So we want them to leave with a new sense of awareness around alcohol and how it affects your brain, your behaviour. And perhaps we want our listeners to forgive themselves for the times they've done ridiculous things like nudie runs at the church fete and things like how that. How did you know about that, Lucy? <laughs> oh, well, I didn't. I just assumed
0: <laughs> yeah, I have done
1: a few nudie runs in my time. I know. I think you've done them
0: sober from memory Yes, as I well. do yes. do them occasionally sober. Like, like, actually, I'll just tell you very quickly, my neighbour is from Denmark, luckily. But there's a little gap between my front door and our pool. Obviously, we have pools in Australia. We're very lucky, William. Um, mm. And there's a little space where I think he sees me run from my house <laughs> to my pool on a daily basis. <laughs> I almost went round there with just a photo and went, this is the body of a middle-aged woman. Accept it. <laughs> He's probably, he probably waits
1: all day. At the yeah, window. he's got his little <laughs> binoculars. You should <laughs> hang out with him; actually, got quite yeah.
0: well.
1: <laughs> he's got a little cupboard with you in, Lucy. <laughs> oh, just stop all this! She's Sorry, always really I've horrible, always tried, tried to make Lucy into some sort of devil, don't I? <laughs> You're Sorry, it's not that hard. Sorry, um, look, but before we start, William, can you just tell us a little bit about your drinking? Um, why, like, what it was like? Why you stopped, and ultimately, why you actually wrote such a useful book about it?
2: Yeah, so, so I, I, as I mentioned, I, I started drinking and smoking at 14 um, and it was very much sort of binge drinking. That's what we did. We got into, I, I, you know, could probably talk for hours on the reasons behind it, but it's, I think, mainly cultural. Um, And but the whole point was the weekend would come and you would go out and get drunk. You wouldn't go out and have one or two drinks or, you know, the, the goal of the evening was to go out and get drunk. Um, so that's kind of what started it off and I don't think it's an uncommon thing particularly in you know like Australia, UK, America it seems to be kind of what we do yeah it's almost seen as like the reward for your hard work during the week is Mm, to then get absolutely hammered Mm. at the week yeah exactly Um, so I was always a binge drinker I never drank daily um, except when I had the opportunity to so so most of the time being a lawyer one of the things was i i had to use my brain to do my job and i couldn't do that when i was hung over um so what i would do is drink lots at the weekend but then sober up and then going to work but what i found were the binges were getting more and more extreme as happens with everyone the intake tends to increase um and so it was kind of going more and more off the rails at the weekends in that you know i'd start drinking friday lunchtime and sneak out of work in the afternoon and have another couple and then drink through the evening then I think one of the big changes for me was having children as well because when you don't have children you can wake up really hungover on a Saturday and just kind of slob around all day until you start to feel a bit better and then start drinking again but when you've got young children you don't have that luxury you have to get up and start moving around
0: yeah for so me it was very similar of- yeah, it was. You have a You have a consequence for the first time, don't you? A consequence drinking. Yeah, exactly. Your drink. yeah. yeah,
2: but but my way of dealing with that was not to drink less, but to start drinking in the mornings because I found then I would that was, yeah. that would like pick me up enough to be able to start to, like get through the day. Yeah. So so my weekend binge drinking I like, ended up literally in just constant drinking. So it was mm. becoming more and more extreme. And I think the other thing when you have kids is you don't get enough sleep. So you never quite recover. So it was it, it was kind of going more and more off the rails. Yes. Yeah, so um, I remember on the Sober
0: Dave podcast, you saying that one of the one of the real changes was when you were on a train. When and Lucy were chatting about it just a minute ago. You were on a train and you had a can of special brew on the <laughs> on the way to work.
1: Is that right?
2: Well, it was actually K-Cider. Oh, I gave yeah. you the
1: wrong information. I think Alan was like looking, was like, oh, really? He was yeah. going, really? Wow. He's what a legend. <laughs> <laughs> Alan's like, yeah. legend. I yeah. on the, you were on the tube on the way to work in your suit with that. I thought it was a special brew. Oh, it sounds better if it's a special brew. Yeah. Can you it wasn't the barley it wine.
2: better, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, no, I hadn't I sunk that late. It, yeah, because special brew is 9%. <laughs> like, this, this was a mere oh, 8% gosh. cider. So oh, my oh, God. Gosh,
0: yeah, that's fine. No. Yeah. A mere yeah, 8%. Yeah. Um, uh, Lucy and I's uh, drinking is a very, very similar story to yours, I think, Lucy, isn't it? Yes. It's like we're binge drinkers, we were party girls, we grew up as teenagers drinking for confidence and very, very similar style of, you know, being passed out in farmer's fields, going cow tipping. <laughs> Did you ever go cow tipping? Never. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you go and push no, cows never. over when they're asleep. Yeah. I didn't do it personally. <laughs> yeah, <often. right. laughs> yeah, so we really resonate with your story because it is a type of progressive drinking that um, all of us have experienced to some extent it's changed over our lifetimes and and it's it's been very under the radar sort of drinking like we call it the gray area drinking i call it my pinot gris purgatory where we sort of fell through the cracks but yeah Mm. very your story definitely resonates with us our idea for the podcast today is to break down sort of 24 hours in the life of a drinker and, and what happens to the brain lucy and i are really fascinated in that so we're going to go through 10 points of the things me and lucy came up with 10 points that we really want the answers to for personal reasons yeah. as well for our <laughs> listeners um we want to find out why we kept repeating these crazy behaviors you know from the first craving all the way to the hangover so i'll let lucy start with the first question for you william
1: yeah okay, okay. are you ready to go william Ooh, i don't know
2: about that but
1: <laughs> these questions Let's at go. you <laughs> just make it up quick if you, don't, around, if you yeah. don't Yeah, mind. quick fly um, Okay, the first thing um, that comes to mind when you think about those drinking sessions um, is the thought of drinking, because we start thinking about drinking hours, um, sometimes even days before we pick up that first drink. And just knowing that you're going to have a drink um, is a wonderful feeling for a heavy drinker. Um, but also there's that shall I shantai, that thinking about drinking and what you call it in your book, the cravings. Tell mm-hmm. us about about that period leading up uh, um to having that drink and why our brain is already going crazy at the thought of it.
2: So yeah, so <clears throat> cravings are quite an interesting thing. Um and when people talk about cravings, they they quite often talk about them like they're something you can't control. Like they you know, like a bolt of lightning coming out of the sky and hitting you. It's it's kind of external Gosh, to yes. you. You suffer <laughs> yeah. it and you don't suffer it.
1: Gosh, that's so true. Of course,
2: it it isn't that at all it's a conscious thought process you go through Um, and how it usually starts is you start thinking about having an alcoholic drink um, and then you essentially start do two things you start obsessing about it and you start fantasizing about it Um, and that's when you you, exactly as you say you sit there kind of thinking how wonderful it will be to have that drink Um, and what you're really doing is just torturing yourself over it you're sat there thinking about how lovely that glass of pinot grigio or that ice cold beer or whatever it is will taste and feel when you drink it but the problem with that is say for example you're not drinking for any reason you suddenly can't concentrate or enjoy what you're doing because you're thinking about drinking now a kind of a common one and this often happens when people stop is they find that and this is what you hear a lot I can't relax in the evening you know how do you Mm -hmm. relax without a drink But actually the dynamic isn't that alcohol is helping you because what's happening, you know, take a typical evening. You, I don't know that many people come home from the office anymore, bearing in mind lockdown, but, you know, you finish work for the day. It's been a stressful day. You sit down, you have a meal, you put the TV on. Now, having a meal and sitting down and watching TV and taking your mind off work is inherently pleasurable. But if you're sat there thinking about, alcohol and how much you want to drink and how you're not particularly happy because you can't have one, then you're not thinking about enjoying the meal. You're not concentrating on what's T what's on TV. What you're actually doing is going through an unpleasant kind of almost internal tantrum because Mm -hmm. you want something you can't have. Um, And that really is what a craving is. It's that sort of torturing yourself with the thought of something now, the problem is then if you have whatever it is you want that you can't have in this situation, alcohol, as soon as you have it, you remove that unpleasant mental conundrum and you can then sit and actually yeah. concentrate on your meal and concentrate on what's going on on the TV. And if you get embroiled in the storyline, of course, it takes your mind off what was happening at work. So alcohol right. hasn't actually helped. All no. it's done is co- caused this conundrum that's stopping you from relaxing. And then by having it, it's then removed it. If that Gosh, makes sense,
1: yeah, it's almost it like really you're does. tricking yourself, aren't you? Well, you're, you're, you're creating it yourself. Yeah, you're totally. creating your own monster in your head. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, yeah. and
1: then you're and then you're sort of um, sedating that monster with a, a drink, yeah. but you created it in the first place. It's just a. It's just a like you say it's a fantasy yeah, it's a total it's really illusion fantasy. isn't it i mean we do it to mm. ourselves and what, it's
0: almost like we know we're doing it sort of deep down on a subconscious level we know that we're creating it because we want to relieve it that's the reason why we're creating it because we want to drink because yes. that's what we're addicted to doing so mm. we create that monster for ourselves yeah then then if we do choose to have that first drink william number question number two we're going into mm-hmm. um why does it feel so amazing I mean I know we're relieving some chemicals there there's going to be hormones involved like what is going on in our bodies when we take yeah. a sip of that if first I, drink and if
1: I can just interrupt before you answer I've never done heroin but obviously I've watched on TV as people shoot up with heroin and you can mm-hmm. kind of get that that sense of, of absolute pleasure that they're getting I liken that to what it used to be like for me having that first sip of drink it was just so incredibly pleasurable even though the alcohol hasn't
0: hit your yeah. system of course because it takes probably 20 minutes for anything to be really entered into your bloodstream and have
1: any side yeah. effects from it but, but just yet, one sip makes yeah, us feel incredible yeah. why is that
2: so th- there's a few points there <laughs> there's there's some physiological points and some psychological points i've already touched on the you know that craving that fantasizing so firstly when you're actually drinking you're getting rid of that what I refer to as like an unpleasant mental tantrum that you're going through. But there's also a few physiological sides to it because alcohol is, is a chemical depressant. It's a sedative. So it's something that decreases or inhibits nerve activity. And that's why we tend to feel more relaxed after a drink. Um, But where the real problem comes in is your brain has its own store of drugs, hormones, and chemicals, Um, And it releases them at exactly the right times and exactly the right quantities to keep you feeling, you know, positive and awake and well, Um, you know, things you would have heard about like adrenaline and endorphins and cortisone, all these different things. And it it helps to think of it as just this massive chemical balance. It's called homeostasis, but it's like a, a delicate chemical balance that your brain works to maintain. So when you take something like alcohol, which is a sedative, your brain reacts to it and what it does, it tries to become hypersensitive so that it can work under the sedating effects of the alcohol. Um, And there's lots and lots of different ways it does this. There's different chemicals. It releases adrenaline to sort of to to wake you up and feel more stimulated. But the problem is then when the alcohol wears off that overstimulation remains. now if you're regularly drinking one of the biggest pleasures in having a drink is actually just relieving that unpleasant feeling that's been left over from the last drink because mm-hmm. if you think about it your, your brain's set up and it's working absolutely fine but then you introduce this sedative so it becomes hypersensitive um, and then the alcohol wears off the sedative wears off and that That hypersensitivity remains afterwards and during that period you know if you've just had one small glass of wine that feeling will be almost imperceptible you'll just feel slightly out of sorts and you know maybe slightly more anxious than you usually would but then if you're talking about a bottle two bottles of wine whatever that's when it manifests itself in like actual anxiety. You feel quite unpleasant. And that's where that term anxiety comes in. That anxiety you get when you're hungover. It's actually got a chemical basis for it. Um so when there's two ways you can get rid of that unpleasant feeling. One is just to wait a few days because eventually your brain then goes back to normal. But a far quicker way of getting rid of that unpleasant feeling is to take another drink. Because the reason you feel unpleasant is because your get brain's geared to work under the sedating effects of the alcohol, but there's no alcohol there. So if you introduce a bit of alcohol, you immediately go back to feeling more relaxed. Um, and that's the big pleasure for regular drinkers. You know, that morning, uh, morning, um, that first <laughs> glass of wine of the day when they sit down after a hard day at work or whatever, that wonderful feeling of relaxation is no more than just correcting a chemical imbalance that was caused by alcohol Tr- in the first Through the place. drink, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I
0: remember, I remember in your book you mentioned the wedding scenario, and yes. for me that was like yeah. the bit that I was just like, God, this is me. I remember like that exact moment where you mm. have that first drink and you feel like, yeah, especially if it's a weekend away and you're on that Friday night and you know that you've got to drink all weekend, and you do feel that feeling of euphoria having that first drink and like this is going to be fun but then the next day when oh, you've got yeah. that hangover you've got to drink again everyone's there with you it's not the same drink but you do it to get rid of the anxiety caused by the alcohol and i remember i was the same throughout my life even if i didn't drink like on a you know like a focused basis like a wedding it would be sort of that process drawn out a little bit further so i'd drink on a friday binge drink i'd be hungover till sunday and mm-hmm. i'd had anxiety monday Mm. tuesday wednesday by the thursday i was waving a tenner at a barman so Mm. it was like a more drawn out process that got shorter and shorter throughout my life until the point i had anxiety every day to, and i had to drink to get rid of it so it's really a progressive disease like that isn't it you know it's very interesting
2: yeah yeah. Yeah, absolutely and of course one of the big things is of course the brain becomes more and more proficient (coughs) at countering the alcohol so you can drink more and more Um, and the results of that is you need more to get the same effect Um, and secondly that's what tolerance is that's why we can drink more now than we did when we first started drinking it's because our brain's becoming increasingly proficient but of course Mm. the more we drink the worse the withdrawal is and a lot of people kind of struggle with the concept that you know even so-called normal drinkers or gray area drinkers suffer from alcohol withdrawal because when you think of alcohol withdrawal you know you think of the hollywood you know people Mm. shaking and seeing insects climbing the walls and all the rest of it but the fact of the matter is a withdrawal is just an unpleasant feeling that Mm. is caused by a chemical imbalance that is itself caused by the previous dose of the drug Um, Mm. and that is experienced by everyone who has ever drunk an alcoholic drink but of course you know if you're a very light drinker as I say that feeling is almost imperceptible but it is there
1: that's actually interesting because that leads on to the third one that we've got because I was just thinking that we've kind of already talked about it because my question is not when you we're talking about once you've had one or two drinks here not when you're absolutely off your rocker Mm. Um, but once you've had one or two drinks some people are able to get up and go home have dinner watch a bit of tv and go to bed people like Vic and I probably yourself, William, we had yes, to stay yes. in the pub or we'd go home, but with a bottle of wine. You know, yes. why is it that some people um, are unable to stop at one or two? I mean, you've probably explained it to us quite a bit in that, you know, and that's in, in, an amazing thing that you've just been talking about. It's probably a bit that I took from the book, best bit, the fact that it makes us anxious and that's why we have another drink. But how, mm. some, how come some people don't get that feeling of anxiety, and they can just have one or two. Why can't Who we moderate? Who are they? Who are yeah. they? Those Who are <laughs> I hate them all. Who can moderate? And why can they do it and we the can't? Bastards.
2: So, yeah, where are these three or four people left? Over? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So,
1: Not
0: here. What it is, so if
2: you, if you think of – just keep in mind at the moment, so every drink causes an unpleasant feeling when it wears off, but the more you drink, the more pronounced that feeling is. Okay. Um, And also when you first, so, so if you take someone who's never drunk before and you give them a glass of wine, they'll feel slightly dulled and slightly out of sorts. And when it wears off, it will leave a very slight anxious feeling, but they won't really be consciously aware of it. They just won't feel quite right. Okay. And then a couple of hours after that, they'll kind of be back to normal and that's the sum total of it. So when you're in that phase, you can have one or two and, it never dawns on you to take another one. But as you drink over the years where you might have a drink and then you know, break for half an hour and then go back to it, your subconscious starts to learn a valuable lesson. And what it learns is when an alcoholic drink wears off, it leaves an unpleasant feeling and another alcoholic drink will get rid of that feeling. Now, it takes time and it takes repeated drinking to get to that point. But when you are at the point where you're, well, it's usually your subconscious, but also your conscious mind knows that that unpleasant feeling kicks in and it needs another drink to relieve it, it just interprets that feeling as, as I want another drink. So it's learned behavior. So when we talk about people, you know, these mytholo- <laughs> mythological people who supposedly can mm-hmm. just have one or two, and yes, they are out there. All it means is they haven't yet become addicted to alcohol. Every drug has its take it or leave it phase. You know, even things you think of as horrendously addictive, like heroin and and even smoking. Smoking's very addictive, but a lot of people might, you know, when you start off, you start just smoking at weekends or when you're out with friends and it takes a while to build up. But all it is, is you starting to learn on a subconscious level that when the withdrawal kicks in, you need another dose of the drug to get rid of it. Now, that's one of the problems with drinking is when you get to that stage, you can't backtrack. And this is one of the things with every drug that I think people need to be aware of. That take it or leave it stage is a one and one only stage because when you experience that feeling of withdrawal and your brain interprets it as I want another drink or cigarette or whatever that might be, You can never unlearn that. That's with you for life. So like I've stopped drinking now for seven and a half years. Say Mm -hmm. if I stopped for 40 years, if I then had a drink, it -hmm. would wear off and it would leave an unpleasant feeling. And my brain would say, oh, I remember that feeling. And I also remember how to get rid of it, have another drink. So I can never be back to the situation I was when I started drinking, where my brain would just think, oh, I don't feel right. There's nothing I can do about it or just wouldn't even notice it.
0: Yeah, because you've learnt it. Like your body has learnt what it you wants. Unle- yeah, oh, you can't unlearn it. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, exactly. So what, yeah. So once we've had those, you know, those first couple, like me and Lucy call it the moderation pixie, don't we? We're, mm. Where there was a little pixie on our shoulder that used to, <laughs> used to annoy one. us. <laughs> yes, have another one, Vicky. And yeah. I would lean in throughout the night. Like, I'd hate the pixie at the beginning of the evening, but... But then I would be leaning into what the naughty pixie had to say. And both me and Lucy were doing the conga with the pixie by the end of the night, weren't we? Yeah, so best mates, both we mates would, with the pixie. Yeah, we loved the pixie no. in the end. But we hate the pixie now, don't we, Lucy? Yeah, we do. <laughs> that pixie is not part of our lives. But when we were drinking, drink, alcohol had all sorts of different effects on us, you know, on our speech, on our how we walked, how we talked, everything. It affected us in a physical way, both of us. And mm. we wouldn't behave normally. What's happening to our bodies there, William, when we're not behaving in a normal way and we can't walk properly or talk properly?
1: What is yeah. actually happening? Yeah, not so much when we're going totally mad, just the fact that we can't string a sentence together yeah. or walk in a straight line. It's amazing. Yeah,
2: no, it? exactly. So so it is a sedative and it sedates. And the more you drink of it, the more sedated you become. So your body just... Y- y- as you say, you just stop being able to to operate normally. And that's where you come in with the slurred speech and sort of falling over. It's just you're too heavily sedated. You know, if you think as well, if, you know, someone was, I don't know, given a very powerful anaesthetic, they wouldn't be able to talk or move properly. That's essentially what you're doing with alcohol. There's there's kind of a knock-on with that as well. We start acting very differently because one of the things alcohol does is it inhibits... It has, a, it has a pronounced intoxicative effect on a part of our brain that regulates emotion. So what you normally find is emotions, very interestingly, that they're fired off and then parts of your brain jump in to dampen them down, to calm things down if they're not required. So mm-hmm. I think I'll give the example in the book, you know, if you knock over a coffee, coffee cup or something and it smashes everywhere, you get really annoyed, but you get over it fairly quickly because your brain jumps in and sort of calms everything down. Now, when you're drinking that part of your brain that jumps in to calm things down becomes sedated very quickly so you're unable to regulate emotion So when you're drinking, not only are you slurring and falling over, you also become very highly emotional. um, Emotive people become really over emotional, Mm. Um, and that's why you have this, you know, stereotypical thing of people being drunk and crying their eyes out or messaging exes or you know Mm. whatever it might be. We tend to become very overly emotional, Um, and again, it's just the effects of the drug building up over time.
1: Gosh, it's amazing. Mm, I, I, I know. I mean, I've never, ever texted an ex when I've been Haven't drunk. You? <laughs> Lies. <laughs> I'm glad that I
2: didn't know you when you were drinking. I, I was always really good with that. I, I, I worked out at a really early time that a mobile phone and drinking would just an absolute recipe for disaster. So I would always put my phone to one side when I was drinking. So people would have like extended silent periods from me. I never went through (laughs) that thing of sending these awful texts or social media messages or anything. So Well,
1: yes, and And I I I think we were actually... We were talking on our last podcast about the fact that we were so grateful that we didn't have social media when we were in our really heavy drinking years. Oh,
2: God, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah.
1: God. Painful, because, yeah, Do I mean, it's me. bad enough having the phone. But you were very clever to realise. We never yeah. realised that, did we, Vic? I mean, a, a mobile phone in our hands when we were drinking oh, was a complete disaster. I was, so was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, but what also, it again,
2: it was a few years ago before social media was quite as big as it was now. So mm, it was, yeah. it, I can't take all the credit for it. But no, I, no. I can't imagine that wake. It, it's bad oh. enough waking up thinking, where's my wallet? Where's my keys? What <laughs> yeah. happened last night? <laughs> Without then having a whole world of social media posts going on till three in the morning or something. Oh, oh dear.
0: Funnily. Weirdly enough, I know you lived in Brighton, didn't you, William? Do you go to uni
2: in Brighton? No, my sister was down there at university. Oh, yes, that's so right. I went down and visited down. her loads. Yeah. 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 So
0: I, w- I lived in Brighton. I had a pager when I lived in Brighton. Oh, Do you remember pagers? Yeah. I was like a drug- dodgy drug dealer. I um, used to like. <laughs> phone up someone for speed to buy some speed or something buy some drugs page, I don't know how cool that is it's not cool I'm not <laughs> saying it's cool it was very very sad but I thought it was cool but I also <laughs> thought riding a BMX around when I was 20 was cool as well, <laughs> down the big beat boutique. You know, I thought I was extra cool, but actually I was just a bit of a dork. No. <laughs>
1: With my pager. No. no. Yeah. Anyway, bright days. Okay, so much. talking about ordering speed off of a pager, <laughs> tell us, William, <laughs> why don't we have a stop button? <laughs> that's my next question to you. So, so that's
2: essentially, that comes back to what I was mentioning before. So every time you have a drink it wears off and it leaves a slightly unpleasant feeling. Now, eventually you get to the point where your brain realizes that the quickest way to get, that, get rid of that feeling is to have another drink. So when you're at that point, every drink creates a desire for the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's why you just keep going and going and going. And, and the end of the road really for that is you just keep drinking and drinking and drinking until you're so heavily sedated, you just drop unconscious. Right, um, but that's really what it, it. Is. Mm. it is. Every single dose creates the need for the next one, um, and that's a thing I think people don't really appreciate. They almost think of alcohol like food, where you know if you're hungry and you eat enough of something, you don't want any more of it. But that never ever works with alcohol because no matter what you, how much you have of it it will always wear off leaving an unpleasant feeling and your brain interprets that feeling as I want another drink. Um, so it, it, it's part and parcel really of the same process.
0: Yeah, just, it leads on to our next question yeah, actually. is it about not feeling physical pain or emotional pain. Me and Lucy did our last podcast on the topic risk and how mm. we felt invincible throughout our lives. I mean, there are some stories on there which would hurt to you know anyone's ears? They were terrible. One one of them being Lucy being hit by a car, in fact, <laughs> which, which, just, yeah. we, which which she she shared with me on that podcast where she rolled over and landed on all fours like a we did like laugh, a cat. Though, didn't yeah, we, but man, I mean, man. some of those stories that I mean, William, I'm I'm I've got one finger short because I blew one <laughs> yeah. of my fingers off with a firework on the Millennium Night. Oh, so like man. a lot of. We've got a lot of crazy stories where we put ourselves at risk. Pretty much every weekend, didn't we, Lucy? We yeah, were quite just in. the weekend. Sometimes in the week. Sometimes especially. during the week. Sometimes on a Monday. Yeah. yeah sometimes on a days. Monday morning. Um,
2: morning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. We would have been there with you with a can of Red Stripe, wouldn't yeah, we? On a a tube into London on the train
2: into London. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a good laugh.
2: Uh, until the hangover.
1: Yeah. Blowing yeah. <laughs> off fingers. Yeah. I might. I might jump in front of the train just to really make everyone laugh. Yeah. hey, Look at me. <laughs> <laughs
0: that's the sort of thing we did. But why, why do why? we do that? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. So when we, we have, well, obviously you've said about us being in a sort of emotional state, but what's going on with our physical state? Like how do we not feel pain in those moments?
1: Yeah.
2: So it, it's an anaesthetic essentially. So this is why, you know, a few hundred years ago, they used to give them a bottle of rum to drink before they, you know, soldiers and sailors who'd had injured mm. limbs before they saw that saw their, limb, their legs or arms off or whatever. It is, it is yeah. an anaesthetic. So take enough of it and you start to feel less and less. And I think that's as true for emotional side as it yeah. is for the physical side.
0: Yeah, you're just numbing everything out. It's just it's just inebriating you to the point where you can't feel or hear or, you know, it's numbing everything, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I think. And and again, I sort of mentioned briefly about how one of the big pleasures for drink for when you're drinking is alleviating the you know the unpleasantness called by the previous drinks but of course that's not true all the time and particularly you know having spoken myself about being a binge drinker that wasn't the case for me on a friday because i'd done two or three days not drinking so mm-hmm. that had gone and yet it still felt very nice to have a drink partly because of the craving thing um but secondly because when you're socializing so, when we humans socialize, our brains release endorphins. So, it makes you feel really good. And that's why, you know, when you see kids at kids' parties, they're going absolutely berserk. It's almost like they've been drinking anyway. It's the endorphins flying around. But when you grow up a bit, you start to care more and more what people think of you. So, when you go out to a social occasion, you're slightly nervous and the endorphins don't get released until you're, you know, you're relaxed and you settle into it. So, For example, now when I don't drink, I go to a social occasion. I feel a bit nervous, a bit unpleasant. But as I sort of relax into it, I kind of relax and start to enjoy myself. But actually, there's a quicker way of doing it. Because if you take an anaesthetic, it will Mm -hmm. anaesthetise those feeling of nerves um, and then let the endorphins run. Um, And that's a lot of the time what people think of as a great high of drinking isn't isn't actually a drinking high at all. It's an endorphin high um so yeah it's it's a it's a very different situation again, I think it's kind of indicative of how when you start to understand alcohol, it becomes less and less attractive.
1: Mm. yeah you see it for what it is it's interesting because we're going Mm. through all of these questions and really they all all the answers are very they're actually very similar it's quite a simple process isn't it what alcohol is doing to us it's just doing it on different levels and the longer we've done it for the more clever our brain gets at working with it so we're just doing it uh, uh, in a worse and worse manner as time goes by yeah and um, I mean that really Awful thing that comes with drinking, which I, I shudder and I, I go into a hot sweat when I think about it. It's a blackout. Mm. Uh, that, that oh my god you know even the thought of how many blackouts I've had in my life and uh, you know how we can behave in such a way so different from the people that we usually are um, and yet we don't have any recollection of it whatsoever how on earth can that happen to us William what is it that happens in our brains that can mean that we black out completely but carry on functioning as a completely different person
2: yeah it's strange isn't it so so this is all theoretical but the current thinking of with with memories is that um, you've got two different types of memory. You've got short term memory and you've got long term memory. And what happens is short term memory is usually people think it lasts, you know, three to five minutes or a bit longer, depending. Um, but for if you think about having a conversation with people on a day to day level, you may have many, many conversations with people during the course of a day and you need to have a memory span of, you know, a few minutes, because otherwise, you wouldn't make any sense in this conversation. But of course, you're not going to remember each and every one of these conversations 10 years down the line. So what the theory is, is everything that happens passes into your short term memory, but then only selected memories then pass into your long term memory. Mm -hmm. Now, what is believed is that alcohol stops memories going from short term to long term, which causes this really strange situation where you do get people who are, you know, absolutely hammered. And that's why they don't remember anything. But a lot of the time you can have people who are seemingly fairly composmentous and not that intoxicated, but they have no memory of what they were doing the following Mm -hmm. day. Um, And the reason for that is they're functioning fine, but none of those memories are passing into their long-term memory. It's all short-term because of the alcohol Mm -hmm. is stopping it from going into long-term memory. So they can be bouncing around the whole day, absolutely fine. um, But it's just then not passed on to their long-term memory. So you then have no memory of it the following day. Now, if you add into that the fact that when we've been drinking, obviously it being an an anesthetic and a sedative, it sedates our inhibition, So we tend to be a lot more outgoing and a lot more confident than we would otherwise be. Whereas when you wake up the next day, you've gone the other way because you know, the withdrawals kicked in. So you feel really anxious and a bit timid and a bit afraid. And, and that's where you have this really weird situation because you find out things you did yesterday, one of which you have absolute no memory of. And two, in your, ultra sensitive and you know particularly terrified state you can't imagine doing so it's mm. it's like comparing two very different parts of you of which you have no memory of so it can be really unpleasant and disconcerting for people
0: yeah, gosh, it's very confronting and no wonder we all felt so awful the next day. I mean, that that fear of the forgotten, I guess, is what
1: it is. Well, you isn't always it? assume the worst. You always well. assume, yeah, assume the worst you don't know. And it just
0: yeah. yeah. And it feels like it's a it's a heavy emotion that to not know oh, what you've it, done. It's
1: enough to make you feel suicide. Yeah. I mean that like, was really, really what I had horrendous. to yeah led yeah. me to
0: quit drinking was because that anxiety from those blackouts was so severe. Not mm. knowing what what I had done and and then having to wake up mm. you know with who a crying baby the next day and oh God yeah, yeah, like two different yeah. lives being you know colliding each Sunday morning that is you know why I never drank again like that 's how severe it is yeah. I, and that 's mm. for a lot of people isn 't it you wake up after mm. having a blackout and it is absolutely humiliating and mortifying oh. isn 't it because you hate yourself in those moments so it just causes more and more angst because you'd hate what you've done you don't know what you've done and it's just this whole horrible mixed up feeling of of panic and dread isn't it it
1: really is and what I found for me and I don't know about you William and Vic but I think in my earlier years of drinking I would go out and I would kind of be the truth fairy you know I'd be that person who all that stuff that the sober me didn't want to say would come tumbling out Mm. but it was still me but later on in my drinking days I'd almost just turn into a totally different person when I was black when I was blacking out and still functioning and talking I would find out that I'd done things that were so different to the mm. real me so completely off my own strong values that I felt when yeah. I was sober I was literally it was a Jekyll and Hyde situation the you know the further I got into my drinking
0: yeah, it's crazy, Lucy, the things that we do in in blackouts. I mean, I'm glad I blacked out, to be honest, because I do oh. not want to know, you know, imagine if there was a switch you could flick and suddenly oh. saw all the things well, you do you know, do in someone the blackout. videos you, that's what they say, don't they? Get yeah. someone to
1: video you drunk and you'll never get drunk. That's you. why I had a pager. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's quite the same <laughs> bit. It took too long <laughs> for people yeah. to tell me what I've
0: been doing. <laughs> 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 dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so, in your book, William, the chapter that I mean me and Lucy hate the word resonated Goodbye, we keep saying it all the time resonated and journey are just yeah. sober journey but we still, really we still say them. I, yeah we still <laughs> say them anyway the, the bit that I liked <laughs> was was the bit about sleep I mean mm. That sleep thing for me when I was drinking, I would wake up in the middle of night with palpitations, feeling awful, then I'd try to go back to sleep and then the worst night for me was the day after the hangover. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep because I'd have a fear of not being able to go to sleep and it would just go on and on and yes. on. So what's happened? You know, we've, we've had a hangover, we've had the blackout. Why can't we sleep after drinking, William?
2: That's, that's yeah, this is one of the biggest things for me and when when I kind of got this sorted out in my head I think this was one of the biggest nails in the coffin of my drinking ever Mm. because if we go back to the physiological side of things so you're taking this sedative um and sedating yourself but when it wears off you're left really hypersensitive um And that hypersensitive feeling is almost like having too much caffeine. You know, when you drink too much coffee and you Mm. start to feel deeply unpleasant, you know, your brain's kind of racing ahead and you feel all twitched up and you can't relax. And it's just not a nice feeling. So what happens is usually about five hours after your last drink, that's when the scales tip. Um, And that oversensitivity really kicks in. Mm. So what people find is um, five hours after their last drink, that's when they wake up so for most people that's that three or four in the morning wake up someone said to me once oh i I, you know i don't know what you're talking about i never get that when i spoke to him a bit further what he was actually doing was drinking till about one in the morning um and then he'd set the alarm for six so so the the wake up kind of coincided with him getting up anyway but this Mm. is why you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't wake up feeling relaxed and calm and you know lie in bed and slowly drift off back to sleep you lie there feeling you know anxious your heart's hammering, you're worrying about anything and everything. And you may be absolutely exhausted, but you can't sleep. Um, And it's to do with that chemical imbalance. Now, um, what people don't understand is, or maybe don't appreciate enough, is that sleep isn't about lying down and going unconscious for eight hours and then getting up and being good to go. We go through, we humans go through very specific sleep cycles Um, and there's different types of sleep that we go through. And I don't think we need to go into massive amounts of detail. But one of the main differentiating factors between the sleep cycles is how deeply unconscious we are. So at one end of the scale, we've got something called deep sleep, which, as the name suggests, you're really deeply unconscious but on the other end of the scale there's something called REM sleep. Now REM sleep is when we dream um, and when they've when they've attached sensors to people um, to monitor them in REM sleep, their brains light up almost as if they were fully awake. So it's this really strange area of sleep. We don't know much about it. we know we dream through it. Um, when they've done tests with rats, when they've starved them of REM sleep, it's actually killed them. So it's it's a crucial part of our sleep cycle. Now, when you drink alcohol, because it's a sedative, your brain can't get you into REM sleep. Most people, normal without introducing a drug, in normal sleep, you'll get six or seven cycles of REM sleep. When you drink, you typically only get two. Because your brain can't get you up into that higher level of consciousness that you needed to go into REM sleep. And then, of course, when the five hours is up, you can't sleep at all. If you do sleep, it's that weird kind of just drifting in and out of sleep and not proper sleep. Um, I quite often liken it to, you know, imagine if your prime position is that you get eight hours sleep a night and I don't know, say you go to bed at 11 and wake up at seven and that's your eight hours sleep drinking is like setting an alarm for four in the morning every night and getting up mm. and drinking seven or eight massive mugs of strong black coffee. That's oh. what it's doing to your sleep cycle. <laughs> um, so it, it's horrendous. And, and to be honest, that was one of the things I hated most about drinking was that waking up in the middle of the night, exhausted, but unable to go back to sleep. And I found one of the things I did when I first stopped I had that image really close to hand so that whenever I was in a situation where someone would offer me a drink or, you know, I was on holiday and I'd look at the bar and think, oh, you know, a cold beer would be nice. The first thing that would jump into my mind is the thought of waking up at three, four in the morning and that, you know, that horrible feeling of anxiety and tiredness mixed together. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's absolutely horrendous. And what I think people don't appreciate is Yes, if you're drinking two or three bottles of wine, it's quite extreme, but even one drink will impact your sleeping pattern. So these so-called normal drinkers that we were talking about, Mm. the people who can supposedly take it or leave it and they just have one or two, they're still not escaping the ill effects. Because this is the other thing. People think if you drink little enough, you get all the good and none of the bad. But of course, that's Mm. not the case at all.
0: Yeah, so a build-up of sleep deprivation eventually is going to cause you
2: to probably reach for a drink more, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It causes all kinds of issues, um, and and I caveat this heavily now because this isn't true for everyone, but I know a number of people who have been on medication for depression and general mental health things, um, and when they've quit drinking... They've been able to just come off it. You know, the anxiety disappears. Mm -hmm. A lot of anxiety is caused by the drinking. You know, as I've touched on, when the alcohol wears off, it leaves you feeling anxious. But I think the impact on your mental health on constantly ruining your sleep can't be underestimated.
1: Mm. No, definitely it, it's not. It's a really big thing for me as well, sleep. And in fact, I think our next podcast, we're going to do it on triggers. So the things that really, because, you know, it's traumatic trying to give up alcohol for so many years and for drinking mm. for so long. that When you do do give up, you're still triggered um, by things. And one thing for me is if I feel really tired, if I haven't had a good night's sleep for any reason, even now when I'm sober, if I feel tired, I immediately feel like anxious because it reminds me of drink my drinking days it's mm. linked so closely to my drinking days because sleep like you, William, my sleep and the way it was wrecked was causing havoc on my life. Um, and like you say as well, I, I am one of those people who was on uh, quite strong medication for um, depression while I was drinking
2: mm. a year
1: on. And um, I, I literally have nothing at all now. It was the alcohol and the way that it was causing um, my life to go into a massive downward spiral and my lack of sleep mm. that was causing the problem. Yeah. Mm.
0: And it's the same for me. Like I get triggered if I'm tired now, it reminds me of being hungover. Yeah. And as soon as I think about being hungover, feel... I think about anxiety yeah. and I think I'm having a panic attack. So actually all I am now is tired because I've got three young kids and like mm. the days are long and I get hardly any sleep. But when I wake up in the morning, it takes me straight back to that me feeling. Too. It takes me, it's like somebody's tapping me in the shoulder from the bum and going you're coming back here with me because yes. I just suddenly feel huge anxiety when I'm tired and I hate it and we call mm. it a sober hangover Lucy yeah. and I sometimes like it's we have hangovers from being big drinkers that just we can't seem to shake I'm sure you're a bit further along the line and us Lucy's nearly a year sober yeah. next week and yeah. I'm nearly four years sober in March um, wow, and I okay. do think that things will change for us at, at different stages but for me there are still things repercussions that are hanging over from those days and from Lucy as well do you find you still have a few uh things that are laying over from from your drinking days like that
2: yeah so so funny enough and and you kind of think like giving up drinking and you know when you start doing it you think it's this horrible penance that you have to go through and then you start to realize all the benefits to it and I think then then I got to the stage of thinking Getting into the mindset. Well, you know what? I, I genuinely don't want this substance anymore. I'm so much mm-hmm. better off without it. But it's almost like I kind of think of it as the gift that keeps giving because even yeah. <laughs> the other day it was—I can't remember what it was. So, so my two boys had just gone back to school on Thursday, so they're back at school after the summer holiday. Thursday, Friday, and they went straight into a school trip overnight. So. This is the first time in a decade that my wife and I have got a night to ourselves. So we we booked and went to this spa, um, and it was quite nice weather. So people were sat outside by the pool, um, and I was kind of watching people drinking because a lot of people. It's almost like being on holiday. So they go there and they're drinking. I'm sort of looking at them, and you start to th- see things in a different way. And I think even now I'm still seeing things slightly differently and I'm still going through changes because I was kind of watching them and thinking I I just – Wouldn't want to be doing what you're doing, because Hmm. you can kind of see them getting up and sitting down, and they just look exhausted. You know know, that kind of. You can tell when someone's been drinking the night before, and they they obviously sat there waiting for the bar to open. And the bar opens, and they start the drinks going. But Mm -hmm. we have this image of people like chatting and laughing, and it all being good fun. But of course, it isn't, because you're sort of watching them, and they just look exhausted for the whole day. Sort of putting these drinks away
0: and also they're but, so preoccupied with it that in those moments like they're preoccupied with the next drink me and lucy mm. talk about that a lot our total preoccupation mm. with alcohol when we were drinking so you were sat there with your wife probably just enjoying the sunset and looking at the trees and you know me and lucy have been, really connect with nature a lot more yeah. now don't we like yeah. we notice things like
1: yeah.
0: natural <laughs> things more than we ever did because we were always concentrating on the bar um so i do think you definitely learn to enjoy the simple things rather than having that preoccupation when what time's the bar open when when we're we going to get our next drink you know I don't miss that like that when you're in those moments and you see those people like going on a, about their drinking like that it does I do feel a sense of relief of, of not being involved in that anymore you definitely see it for what it is. Mm, but, definitely, but, yeah.
1: before, before we get into all the wonderful Positive, yes. things about <laughs> about um being sober and i'm sure that us we could probably go on and on for hours about it i just want to take us back a bit because we've talked about the horrendousness of sleep um when we've been drinking um so can can we just talk about the hangover the, the thing that happens after that monumentally shit night of sleep <laughs>
2: <laughs> the next delight yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean the One of the, well, funny enough, the biggest reported symptom of a hangover is tiredness. And that is, you know, entirely to do with the sleep deprivation. Um, The other big thing, of course, is the anxiety. Now, a lot of people believe that's because of the stupid things you do when you're drinking. And that's no doubt plays into it. But actually, the biggest part of that is that oversensitivity, that withdrawal that's sat there the next day feeling unpleasant. Um, But what happens where your body processes alcohol by turning it into a chemical that I will try and pronounce. I always get it wrong, but I think it's a keldahyde, but it turns it into this a and and that is a poison. It's poisonous. Um, And it builds up over time. Um, And that's one of the reasons you feel very sick the next day. And this is one of the things that kind of irritates me when, and and you see a few more of them recently, where there's sort of these drinks that you supposedly, soft drinks, but you drink them before you start drinking alcohol and it supposedly assists your hangover, which is a a chemical impossibility because the reason you're sick when you're drinking um, is because your body has to metabolize alcohol into this chemical, which is then poisonous for you. And that's why you feel sick. Um, so yeah, so that's it. That, that, that pretty much is the hangover. And I said to the two main parts of the hangover, people often think of it as, you know, the headaches, which is caused by the dehydration, um, but also the sickness. But for most people, I mean, I never really got sick and headaches with hangovers. All I got was tiredness. Um, and what I then identified much later down the line as that kind of that anxious feeling, that anxiety. Yeah.
0: So there is no cure for the
1: hangover. So
2: you've got
0: I all that poison. Yeah, don't drink. Sobriety is I'm thinking of all cure, that yeah. poison
1: inside I mean, of you.
0: And also, I've seen people in America, in LA and stuff now, they ha- go on these drips the next day, don't they? Like they have oh, a yes, saline to do, drip To hydrate themselves. To hydrate themselves. Does but that Obviously, that's not going to work either, is it? No. So, so you got... So, had-
2: dehydration's an interesting one because obviously mm. people kind of and my friend used to do this we'd be going home from the pub and he used to buy like an orange juice or some water or something to rehydrate yes. himself but dehydration it's it's your body's your body starts to not be able to know how much spare liquid it's got so we all have you know I forget what it is but we're like 80% water or whatever now you 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 use water okay you use it for sweating your body uses it to cool you down So it has water supplies kept there ready. Now, one of the reasons, you know, when it gets cold and you need the toilet, even if you haven't drunk anything, it's because when it's cold, your body realizes that you're unlikely to need a lot of water for sweating. So it gets rid of some and so you urinate it out. Um, What alcohol does is it basically messes up your body's sensor so that your body thinks it has more liquid in reserves than it actually has. Now, drinking, so so if you have a load of alcohol so that that sensor's messed up and it thinks it's got, I don't know, two pints where it's actually got virtually nothing, having a load of liquid isn't going to do you any good at all because your oh body God. is still working <laughs> on the basis that it's got enough liquid. So if you've How drunk a load of alcohol hmm. and then you knock back a bottle of mineral water just before you go to bed, yeah. it's not going to rehydrate you. All it's going to no. do is <laughs> make you wake up and leave the toilet.
1: Gosh, imagine all those people all over the world having pints of water. (laughs) And you know, you say, I'll have a drink a drink of wine, a drink of water. Not that I was ever really good at that. I think I managed to have the wine, the water, the wine, 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 wine. You know, you used to alternate with water. So that was complete, that was a waste of time. Actually, someone's contacted me this week
0: to advertise a cup that has, you put wine in the top and you spin it upside down it has water in the bottom to curb people's drinking. So that's that's an actual product that's out there.
2: Insane, isn't it? It's just, and actually so, one of the things with this is when you drink any liquid and you urinate it out, you don't just urinate out the liquid, you also urinate out a small amount of salt. Now, right. If you drink loads and loads and loads of liquid, you can, it can actually kill you because you're washing right. through all the salt.
0: I see. So yeah, what yeah. happens
2: is one of the reasons when you wake up and you're hungover that you want a big cooked breakfast is because there's loads of salt in it. Oh. So because you're drinking a lot to get the alcohol, to get the drug, you're washing out salt, which gives you salt cravings. So actually oh. <laughs> drinking a load of mineral water on top of it is, on top of it is just making that worse. Wow. So it's almost like an excuse not, though, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's madness. But yeah. And, and, and as I say, these things where drink this and you don't get hung over or drink this and it hydrate you, you, you cannot hydrate yourself until the chemical effects of the alcohol have worn off and your body realizes, ooh, I don't have enough water in reserve. I need to drink something to get that water level back up
1: and that's why we always want crave savory food as well maybe yeah. after when we've got a hangover just you know mcdonald's or yeah. you know or a pie yeah. or a bit of casserole yeah, or something salt. like it's that the salt it's the salt salt yeah. is it
0: and what about that's william it. quickly while we're on that topic what happens when you go out to l- and you line your stomach beforehand
2: so yeah so this is another strange one um so alcohol is obviously absorbed into your bloodstream through your it goes through your stomach and into your small intestine which is when it's absorbed into the bloodstream and that's when we feel the effect of it now if you haven't eaten anything or you've just exercised or whatever then when you have that drink the alcohol is going to hit your bloodstream that much quicker so if you line your stomach with something so you have a big meal. When you're drinking, it will just take longer to go into your bloodstream. So all you're really doing is spreading the effects. I, I, I personally could never see the point of that because, for me, the point of drinking was to get the effects of the alcohol. Yeah, exactly. And eating yes. sort of slowed that down. So I could never really see the point of it. Yeah, there um, was that
0: saying, wasn't it? Eating's cheating. That was it I was trying to think Yeah, it Eating's yeah. cheating, yeah.
2: And also... Rather interestingly, you you get a lot of people who are extremely fit, who tend to have problems with alcohol Mm -hmm. more so than others, because they're more careful about what they eat, their metabolism's a lot faster. So when they have a drink, it hits their bloodstream that much quicker. So the effect Mm -hmm. is more pronounced. You know, I was talking about before how that that effect, when your brain starts to pick uh, pick up on the cause and effect is essentially where you start to learn that one drink... Um, that when an alcoholic drink wears off another drink will get rid of that nasty feeling people that yeah. tend to be a bit slimmer and, and you're quite fit or quite health conscious that is a more pronounced effect for them
0: yes so when we're feeling like that after we've had that horrible hangover we've had no sleep we've been in a blackout we have just had a, an average drinker's night out basically yeah. why then william <laughs> do, why do we start again why do we drink again what's
2: going on so there's a whole raft of things going on there. So firstly, you've got the physiological side. So the anxiety, the tiredness, all of that will be anesthetized by having another drink. So a substantial amount of, oh, I feel horrible will actually mm. make you feel a lot better when you have another drink. The other thing being there's sugar in alcohol. The alcoholic drinks we drink tend to be have a lot of sugar in. So you're also getting a sugar boost at the same time. But then if you mix it in with everything else that I've talked about, so if you're used to drinking regularly um, and so, you know, say say it's a Friday night and you go out on a Saturday night with your friends, you've also got the whole craving thing sat there as well because you know for a fact when you have a drink, you will feel a lot better. So then you start to obsess about the drink. And so, you know, when Mm -hmm. you first turn up, you're not really thinking about your friends or anything. What you want to do is get your hands on a drink. So when you have that drink, you almost free yourself up to enjoy yourself normally because the things that are stopping you from enjoying yourself is the craving, the anxiety, the tiredness. So having an alcoholic drink will remove all three of those and actually allow you to enjoy the evening.
0: Gosh, no wonder it's so ingrained. You know, it sounds Mm. like obviously you're going to reach for that, aren't you? You're going to lean on to that. I mean,
1: even when I was an at-home drinker for a long time, and even if I managed to get through to about six o'clock in the evening with a hangover, feeling terrible all day, and I knew I only had about another four hours to go, but the feeling was so awful that I would have another drink just to get Mm. rid of all of those things that you're talking about there, William, because I just couldn't bear another Mm. minute of my life. Feeling that way, Yeah, it was so awful.
0: I remember those were the nights where I would, if I was going out two nights in a row, when I was drinking away a hangover, those were the nights that it got really messy because I would drink faster because I was so desperate to feel well again. Mm, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I'm talking about drinking making me feel well, but of course I was just accentuating the problem. But but you just
1: want to feel better, don't you?
0: Just want to feel better, which is like, as, as you said, Lucy, like a heroin addiction, you know, you have the hit to feel well. And in the end, Mm. you know, you're not getting that same high you had the first time you took heroin. In the end, you're having it just to feel normal. Um, Mm. And that's a very addictive thing because you get so unwell afterwards. So all you're doing is curing yourself really.
2: Yeah, exactly. Curing the problem it caused previously. And funny, you were mentioning about how, you know, that really unpleasant feeling, because that was one of the things that started to become one of the many ways in which it started to become unstuck for me is because mm -hmm. I'd be, you know, I'd end up drinking on a Sunday, but then, of course, I'd feel awful on a Monday. So I'd ring in sick, but then Mm -hmm. you're sat at home on your own with nothing apart from this horrible feeling that, you know, a drink will get rid of. So you end up then drinking Mm -hmm. on the Monday and, and, and so it goes on and on and on.
0: It's a self-sabotage almost, isn't it? Because we know it's not going to help. Like, we're not stupid. We know that having a drink isn't the right thing to do. But we're having a, a chemical imbalance going on in our head where we know that it's going to make us feel better. So we just reach for it because that's what we've always done. And, yeah, I mean, a, yeah. a lot of what we do in this podcast is to say that, you know, you as well, William, are included in this, you know, We've stopped doing that. And a lot of our Mm -hmm. listeners will think there's not a possibility to stop doing that. But there is, you know, you can stop. We've stopped and you've stopped. And you can, you know... Get out of that habit. You've got to break the cycle. you got to break you? the cycle, yeah.
1: But, yeah, yeah so yeah. just talking about – because we're going to we'll talk about our listeners here because we get so caught up in our conversation, we forget that we, we're yeah. Doing, yeah, <laughs> we we our know, listeners. Yeah. But we, we, we do – that's why we say some really odd things. We forget people are listening in. <laughs> <laughs> um, look – we like to end on a bit of a high for our listeners because we've we're hoping that everything we've just talked about is going to make them think right I am never going to pick up an alcoholic drink again if that is what it does to me that was our aim kind of with this podcast Uh, but can we just take it one step further with you William so for our listeners who are thinking about stopping if they were to say right okay I've listened to that podcast alcohol is clearly an awful thing to put into my body I'm going to stop for a week I'm going to give up what changes will happen to them what can they expect to happen to them in that week Uh, just one week of not putting the poison into their body
2: so it kind of depends on how heavy and how regular a drinker they are but the first thing let's assume they're drinking at a fairly high level so I don't know maybe two or three bottles of wine a night the first Mm -hmm. thing is the first day is going to be fairly unpleasant from a physical perspective because that anxiety will be there and it will stop them sleeping that night. So they can expect a few nights of having really bad sleep. Um, But when they come out the other side of that, and it does only last like two or three nights by like in the worst case, by like night three, four, five, they're starting to sleep better. Um, two things will happen. The two main things are that chemical imbalance that's been caused by the alcohol over however many years they've been drinking will start to go back to normal. Now, you may consider yourself to be um, you know, a fairly strong-willed person, fairly resilient on completely the other way. But the fact of the matter is you will be the best version of yourself when your brain chemistry goes back to normal. Okay. So you can expect to feel more confident, more capable. And, and the best way I can sum it up is just less overwhelmed by the day-to-day stresses and, and strains of life. Okay. Cause everyone has ups and downs in life. And when we're drinking, they tend to overpower us and we tend to get overwhelmed very easily because our brain chemistry is all over the place and we haven't got that mental resilience. But of course, the knock on effect of that is as you start sleeping better that goes up, it's magnified tenfold, okay? And and this is what I really try to hammer home to people is, however good it feels when you have that first drink of the day, you will feel better than that when you are not drinking all the time. And you will have bad days and you won't always feel on top of the world. But compared to when you're drinking, the bad times will seem so much less and you'll be that much more able to sort of get on top of them. Um, yeah. And it just continues to get better.
0: Lucy and I describe it as this wriggly line that our our lives were really chaotic you know very up and down Mm. and sobriety has brought us you know it's flattened that line it makes us more appreciative of what we've got and grateful and and that line is a line of contentment it's a continual line that doesn't change and it doesn't have those short-lived highs
1: or those deep lows but it's it's a definite better way of living isn't it Lucy? Oh totally yeah and it's interesting that you had said uh, about the gift that keeps on giving William because we've actually Actually talked about sobriety as a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that was our does. podcast. And about, I have also yeah, yeah. described it as being um, as micro dosing ecstasy. Some days <laughs> you just are so in love with everybody because sobriety feels so amazing. I mean, I I, I, um, I I keep telling people how wonderful they are and just feeling great feelings of warmth to strangers what, in
0: shops. You haven't told, said anything nice to me, Lucy. Who are these strangers <laughs> you're being nice to? Can you, you do that a bit more in my direction, please? Oh,
1: God.
2: Dear me, I am not <laughs> I'm still waiting for that to come.
0: I feel
1: just really good generally. <laughs> I have to say,
0: William, I have. To, I sit very close to Lucy and I've known Lucy. I met her when she was still drinking. We became friends. Right. Um, and three days after she met me, she quit drinking. Right. Um, and the change in Lucy I've witnessed throughout the last year is just incredible. Just to see her sitting opposite me now with her bright eyes and lovely, clear <laughs> skin. A bushy and, tail. A bushy tail. A <laughs> <Yes, her> little <laughs> nutkins, I call her. <laughs> But yeah, the change. I mean, for our listeners, I know you can't see Lucy, but she's radiating. In front oh yes, of me. I am. Yes, <laughs> I just wanted to end William with a quote from your book um, because it. I think it's one that our our listeners will really like because we talk about being sober, curious, a lot, and inclusive in this in this sober world of of everybody who's questioning their drinking. And I thought this this part of your book really summed that up well. Um, William says. There is no set test for alcoholism or problem drinking, and there cannot be one. Everyone must consider this issue for themselves. However, someone once said to me that if you are even asking yourself if you have a problem, then you do have one. One definition of a problem is a difficulty that has to be resolved or dealt with. The fact that the question has even crossed your mind means that this is something you are dealing with, something that you are seeking to solve, Thus, by definition, it must be a problem. So that addresses that um, spectrum of alcoholism, like you don't have to be extreme or to reach rock bottoms to deserve professional support, which is always mine and Lucy's message on this podcast is, you know, if you are thinking that you have a problem with alcohol, then perhaps you probably do. So Mm -hmm. we hope this, this episode with William has really helped you to understand
1: what's going on with your body and mind, like when you take those drinks. And the book is just amazing, William. I really, truly, jokes aside, absolutely loved it. And it's been a significant part of my healing and getting over um, everything and the understanding that a lot of it was kind of out of my control in terms of it being the physical effect of alcohol. Mm. Um, And it's also the kind of book, to anyone who's thinking of perhaps getting it, that you, you keep with you and you keep Reading parts of it, and you should, if you ever feel like drinking again, pick it up and read it because yeah, it's it again. You.
0: Yeah, we just want to thank you, William, for sorry about the technical issues, and oh, so thank you so much for being the first guest on answering all those questions. It's just been a, fascinating to hear what you've got to say
2: no thank you for asking me and it's been yeah it's been an honor to be your first ever guest yeah, yeah
0: we're so
1: excited uh, if it's recorded yeah i was be gonna ready. say we'll probably find that we haven't we haven't hit record
2: yeah that's all right we'll start again yeah
1: we we'll start again or oh, i get another chance to talk to him again vic yeah, that'll, that'll be <laughs> nice, yeah. oh yes lucy's rubbing the, her thighs oh god <laughs> don't say <laughs> that you always have to embarrass us at the end i thought we'd come across as quite professional up until no, i don't though. think we came across no? as professional no. at all <laughs> oh. Thank
0: you, William. I was going to sing you your little song that I, I sang to you on Instagram. Oh, no. Okay. Do you want me to count you in? You count me in. Okay. Three, two, one. Oh, Mr. Porter, what shall I do? I want to go to Birmingham, but here I am in crew. Take me back to London as quickly as you can. Oh, Mr. Porter, what a silly girl I am. Da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> well done. This
0: is like, Beautiful. why are you singing that song? Yeah, I'm like,
1: I... That's it. Now I have never heard that song before. Have you, William? She reckons it's
2: a really well-known song. It was, I think, in the 1940s. It was absolutely.
1: (laughs) I do
0: sing a bit like Vera Lynn as well. I don't know. I've got some weird past life coming. Have you ever had
1: anyone else sing that song to you?
2: Funnily enough, no, no. (laughs) It's a one-off. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Lucy you're going to do Knees Up Brother Brown next No Monday. I was going to do maybe it's because I'm a Londoner <laughs> But I don't think I will I think I've made enough of a tit of myself For uh, one, yeah, for we one might, podcast Maybe we'll edit that bit out Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no we'll leave it in Thanks, William, William thank you so much for coming on And chatting to us today Thank
2: you very much take care bye bye. See you.
0: bye If you've enjoyed listening to William Porter As much as Lucy and I just did Then be sure to go to his website Alcoholexplained.com He has a brilliant Instagram account, which is at Alcohol Explained, and we'll be sure to put all the links to his book in the show notes. Also, check out William's Facebook group. It's a brilliant place for sober curious people or anybody treading this sober path. We just want to do an extra thank you to William for being our first guest on the Sober Awkward podcast. What a brilliant person to have on, and we really appreciate your time, William. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward podcast. If alcohol
1: is affecting your life in a negative way, if you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist or connect with your local AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one.
0: Yes, go onto Facebook and just search Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy the group. Lucy and I both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely
1: worth it. And if we can do it, you can too. For more support on sobriety, head to Vic's website, drunkmummysobermummy.com. And Lucy runs an
0: online space to support and inspire single mums. Find out more at beanstalkmums.com.au. Finally, if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review and share it with your mates. Don't make it
1: sound like they have to, though.
0: No, they do have to. I'm not doing all this for nothing. No,